Stranger Than Christian is sponsored by MDD Staffing Incorporated. You know, when you're looking for professional in-home care, a meticulous level of detail is so important. You don't want to leave the most cherished elements of your life to just anybody. That's where MDD Staffing comes in. They are a premier domestic staffing agency working to fill household jobs with the absolute best candidates available. Their standards are high and their interviews are thorough because that's what their families expect. The result of this approach is top-notch care from experienced, fully vetted professionals. Owned and operated by one of the most sought-after professional nannies in Boston, MDD Staffing is committed to maintaining the highest standard of excellence in all of its placements. Nannies, babysitters, dog walkers, housekeepers, and so much more. For more information or to explore the services available to you, email mddstaffing at gmail.com, find them on Facebook, or visit mddstaffing.com. And The Wash Vintage clothing and accessories at unbelievable prices. Search for The Wash Vintage on eBay to browse a vast selection of rare, unique, and fashionable merchandise. Follow The Wash Vintage on Instagram to get an exclusive look at sales, promotions, and the new stock that's added each and every week. The Wash Vintage for the masses. Today I'm talking to Todd with two Ds, podcaster, musician, and of course, I'm meeting him for the first time. From Texas, this is Stranger Than Christian. idea was called the super duper looper. 2,614 feet long, 75 feet high, with one inversion and a 70 foot drop. This was my first ever roller coaster. And this happened about three months ago. Uh, it was... This was uh, my co-worker Ashley, my wife Kat, and I. The three of us had the day off, so we went to Hershey Park. And as you enter the area where the roller coasters start, the super duper looper, it's the oldest one, it's the first one that you see. So we said, great, let's, let's hop on that one. Uh, again, keep in mind, my first one ever. Now, 12-year-old me would have no problem with this. I would just jump on it right away. But 29-year-old me has self-doubt and student loans and <laughs> unpaid insurance bills and just all kinds of concerns that I didn't have 15 years ago. Um, so I wasn't sure what reaction to expect. And then my heart started beating. And my voice got really raspy. And my shoulders clenched. And I couldn't, and I couldn't, I couldn't make eye contact. And my wife asked me, what's wrong? And I said, I'm having a panic attack. So I darted around looking for a bottle of water or an exit. And I ducked through a bunch of kids looking to go into the roller coaster. And I went out, and I found a bench, and I caught my breath. <sighs> now at this point, I realized I had probably aimed a bit too high. So, 
I sat up, I caught my breath, I regained my composure. Kat and Ashley got off the roller coaster. How was it? It was great. So I said, maybe let's try a ride that's a little more my speed. So we went to the uh, Wildcat. <laughs> now the Wildcat was a flat roller coaster. No hills, no loopers. No. Um, I'm, going to I'm going to illustrate to you what a non-issue this roller coaster was. I was in the front car, and to my right was a Girl Scout. <laughs> Maybe 10 or 11 years old, full uniform. And as the, the, the bar came down on our lap, she looked at me and said, just a heads up, this one's not fun. And she was right, because it was like riding a Mark cart through Wegmans. It was maybe three miles an hour. I was like making eye contact with squirrels as I went by. I said, this is ridiculous. OK, so we got off that. I said, OK, maybe I can, I could probably step it up a little bit. So the next one was called the, uh, the Storm Runner. The Storm Runner. Now, the Storm Runner doesn't do that that gradual sort of hit. It doesn't do that. Their gimmick is boom, 70 miles an hour immediately. And there's a voiceover in the car as you're getting ready to take off. And it's like one of those movie guys. And it goes, now get ready. Here we go. <laughs> and it's every car that goes by. Now get ready. Now get ready. Now get ready. Here we go. So no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting this one out. I'm more comfortable. Just, I'll, I'll, I'm having fun watching. Has anyone ever said that to you? I'm having fun watching. That's my fun, is watching the 70 mile an hour roller coaster. <laughs> so as I'm sitting on the bench, I'm looking at this ride, and I'm looking at the big rivets holding it together, and I'm looking at all the steel, and I'm looking at everybody having fun, and the, and the car shooting up the hill, and this thought pops into my head. If it wasn't safe, they wouldn't have built it. <laughs> right? <laughs> if it wasn't safe, they wouldn't have built it. I, I'm, I'm, being, I'm being a coward. So I am repeating this mantra in my head. If it wasn't safe, they wouldn't have built it. If it wasn't safe, they wouldn't have built it. And a, a, a resolution appears before me. I need to do the super duper looper. <laughs> So Kat and Ashley get off the roller coaster. How was it? It was great. I want to do the super duper looper. And my wife comes with me, and um, she kind of stands next to me for moral support as I'm in line for the super duper looper. And uh, so we're standing in line, and she's next to me. And I just had a funny thought. I said, wouldn't it be funny if the voiceover guy from the Stormrunner did this one too? Surprise, I do this one too. Now get ready. <laughs> So we're getting closer, and little by little, I'm hearing it's getting louder. The sound, it's the hydraulic of the of the lap belts in the cars going away, and the new, and the old one coming back in, and the kids getting out and going in, and the dread starts to set in again. What do I do? I can get off. If I get off right now, I don't get hurt, but I can stay on and I can conquer this ride. You know what I did? 
I rode it and it was fucking awesome. And it was really fast and I went through the loop and it was not as fast as I thought it was gonna be, but it was still really fast. And then we wanted this one called the Laugh Track and it was all glow in the dark and it was all seeing eyes all over the walls and it spun us around and around and around. And then we got on this one called the Lightning Racer and I was lightning and the other one was thunder and it was two cars at the same time and it was a race. And the first one to get to the end of the platform won and it was a big wooden track and we went around this big bend and I put my hands up. And then I went to the gift shop and I bought a t-shirt and it was $26, but it was one size too small, but it was worth it! Because who among us has dared to stand on the shoulders of gods? Thank you very much. Greetings from Chromatica, home of Lady Gaga, liberator of kindness punks, mother of little monsters, tricon of the ages. We are her best fans with a mission to create a podcast celebrating our hero. Broadcasting straight from Chromatica. This podcast is about Lady Gaga for Lady Gaga. But anyone can listen. It doesn't matter if you love him or capital H-I-M. Prove your stupid love. Ace the art pop quiz. Put your paws up. And download the Chromaticast wherever you get your podcasts. Join us every other Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific for our live tapings at twitch.tv slash apocalypse podcast network. zoomed way in that's you that's what you look like yeah apparently <laughs> you could actually turn that off i i'm only recording your audio okay <laughs> it's just it, it's a lot of people feel more comfortable when their camera's off because i feel like to maintain a conversation and also have to look like you're maintaining a conversation is very difficult yeah um I, i'll i'll happily turn it off uh especially if you're gonna have yours off too now the question is too because I just had to fight with my uh, audio settings. There, are you am I coming through nice and clear? Oh, you you are coming through fantastically. Yes. Okay. I'm I am also a podcaster, and for some reason, Squadcast just didn't like my mic settings just now, which I have not run into yet. That's so strange. I've had more issues with Squadcast lately, like within the last couple of weeks. I don't know what they changed, like on their back end, but yeah, I, it's it's not playing well with a lot of people's stuff. But I'm glad you yeah. made it. Yeah, no, I've, I've I've been looking forward to this. This is uh this is very exciting. <laughs> I'm I'm glad, and you've you've involuntarily hit on a part of my strategy. When I started asking for guests for this show, I asked all the podcasting subreddits because I was guaranteed a guest with a good microphone. Right, right. That's uh, that's great. Yeah, you gotta we... wake you gotta wake up early in the morning to catch up with me. Tom. <laughs> <laughs> How are you today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I've had a good day. I've had a good good weekend, good day. So, yeah. Tell me three of the elements that made a good weekend for you. What are three things that happened for you, to you, involving you this weekend that made your weekend great? My daughter's here. Uh, she's here for the uh, the next, like, seven or eight days. My, my ex-wife and I, you know, split custody. Um, so she just finished school on Thursday. And uh, we we spent some of the weekend kind of planning out our... Uh, our trip to Bush Gardens, 
<laughs> oh, I've uh, never been to Bush Gardens. I have a t-shirt from Bush Gardens, but I've never been. Yeah, we're going on Friday. Um, so, uh, yeah, just trying to like map out our path of thrill rides and roller coasters. Oh, she has to be so excited. I, I mean, we've been doing this since she was really small. Um, I One of the pictures I have hanging on my wall is when she w- was getting measured uh, and she finally hit the height that allowed her to go on all the roller coasters. Oh, <laughs> my God. They grew up so fast. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I said, I mean, I made it, made it sound like she was a little kid. She's 17. So. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> well, no. as well, I feel like a, a place like Bush Gardens, whether you're seven or 17, is like just as much fun. I, I'm I'm 43 and I'm giddy. Like, yeah. I I I love thrill roller coasters so much. And I'm afraid of heights. Like, uh, it it doesn't track that I would love them as much as I do. But just it's it's just it's just pure adrenaline, especially if you're afraid of heights. So, well, there aren't that many activities unless you're like into drugs. There aren't that many activities at that age <laughs> that give you that 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 hit. You know? Yeah. No. And it's it's definitely it's one of those things. You know? And it it's they strap you in. Like I feel safe every time. But then they just like throw you 340 feet straight down at like a you know 100 degree angle going 87 miles an hour like it's it's amazing so what makes a good roller coaster are there elements that make a really good roller coaster as opposed to like a boring one like i imagine speed is a huge factor in that uh speed is but it's definitely it's there's like there's like a trifecta right um it's the speed is one thing, right? Because if a ride just goes too slow, it's just it's not that thrilling. Sure. Um, but then it's the it's the turns and the drops, and I use those two phrases very specifically because a lot of people think of roller coasters as just going up and down, but they can go sideways and corkscrew too. Like there's a there's a roller coaster at uh, King's Dominion um, that. The, the turn that it takes after it does the big drop um, induces enough G-forces that some people black out on that ride. Oh, that's my even kind of though, ride. Even though there's other roller coasters that are faster that do bigger drops, it's specifically the turn at the bottom that makes your vision go tunnel vision. Um, so, yeah, it's the speed, the, 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 the turns and the drops, and then the smoothness because I'm – you know, you sound like a you sound like a coaster junkie. You know the ones that just like give you cauliflower ears by the end of it. You I know exactly like, what you're talking about, and I I'll talk it. about. I, I will it. talk about my status as a roller coaster junkie because this is very new for me. But I <laughs> I, I enjoy a roller coaster. Yeah, um, there's. <laughs> I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get real geeky and real specific here. I love it. Do it. There's two coasters that are very similar. One, uh, one in Sandusky, Ohio, called the Top Thrill Dragster, uh, and then a very similar one, I think, called the Kubla Khan in New Jersey. And the Kubla Khan goes faster and it's taller. But you got to understand these rides are insane. They're they're hyper coasters, so they shoot you out at like 90 to 100 miles an hour, like from the from the beginning, like that's how the ride starts. Wow. And then you you go for a bit. And then you do a 90-degree turn straight up. I mean, straight up, 90 degrees straight up. And you go up for about 420 feet for the one in Ohio. Uh, so that's about a 42-story building. 
you kind of hang out at the top just a little bit, and then you turn over the corner and you head straight down and you corkscrew down. And then right before you hit the ground, it turns and the ride's over. It takes like 11 seconds. Wow. It's insane. Um, and the Kublai Khan is faster and taller, but everybody agrees that the one in Ohio is better because it's smooth. And it doesn't smash your ears against those stupid brace things that go over your whole head. Rather, it just like it it it's one of the like lap things. I think you just like put it in your lap or you you strap it across your chest or something. Right. You don't have that big like almost looks like yeah. a big black life vest that they put yeah. over your shoulders. Right. Yeah. I hate those things. And so very similar ride, but um, two very different experiences. <laughs> well, I've had smooth roller coasters. I've also had the opposite of smooth. So yeah. I am from Connecticut originally, and there's okay. a there's an amusement park called Lake Compounds. And in the late 80s, it became famous because that was the park where Millie Vanilli got caught lip syncing. <laughs> Like, girl, you know it's girl, you know. Like, that's where that happened. But other than that, they're big claim to... F- <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm so glad I have a guest who knows that song. So <laughs> the other claim to fame is that they have a roller coaster called the Boulder Dash, which is okay. the fastest wooden roller coaster in America. Oh, wooden roller coasters are terrifying. They are terrifying, and they... <laughs> My ass hurt so bad by the time I was done with this roller coaster, Todd. Right. It was just, right. I, I get it. I get the appeal and I get the, you know, I, I, I get that it's supposed to be fun. It was just such a rough ride. Yeah. So smoothness. Yes, I would, I would, I would put that near the top of my list for a good roller coaster. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you, if you have not, are you in Connecticut now? Like where are you located? No, I'm in, I'm in central PA right now. So the closest... Okay. The closest amusement park we have right Hershey's. now, Hershey Park, right? Yeah, and the, park. yeah, the super duper looper. I was in a storytelling contest a couple of years ago, uh, like a storytelling competition, and I told the story of my first time riding the super duper looper because I, up until maybe two or three years ago, I was never really into roller coasters. I, I okay. kind of, I, so this is new. Very, I that's t- so exciting. You, very new. <laughs> yes, I have. There's a whole world of. I'm, I'm excited. The world is getting somewhat back to normal this year. I have a whole world of roller coasters waiting for me i'm so excited yeah um, yeah well, you've i gotta I, come down to bush gardens we've got some great ones god i would love to bush gardens is like space camp it's one of those things that i've, I've i only saw on tv when i was a kid like kids <laughs> on double dare only one trips to bush gardens like you don't just go that's it's like camp david like you have to be invited to that okay we have to be like close to the same age between <laughs> Between your email address and various of the jokes that you've made so far. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you talking about the references to Press Your Luck, Millie Vanilli? Yes. And- <laughs> yes. And, and various Nickelodeon shows. I'm assuming I'm going to get slimed here at some point. I make a habit of like not specifically saying my guest's age on the show, but I'm 32. Oh, okay. I'm... I, I- I'm I'm older than you. You are. I was yeah. ra- I was raised on I feel like looking back I now realize I was raised on 80s media. Okay. You that, know what I that mean? That makes sense cuz I was also raised on 80s media but it's because that's what was on our, you know, on our four channels of TV that we had at the time. Right. So, right, that's what you had. Yeah. So to get back to my original question. So I I asked <laughs> for three things that made your weekend great. Oh. Now I could uh, I could totally understand if Spending time with your daughter mm-hmm. is the is 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 the lion's share of that joy that you have for the weekend. So if you don't have two other things, that's great. But if you do, that's also great because we need to fill time. 
Yeah, no, it's uh, <laughs> uh, I I made significant progress on on my podcast. Uh, that that is a thing that, as you are probably aware, uh, if you edit your own podcast, just takes a lot of time, um, and getting through it. It fills you with a sense of accomplishment. Absolutely, um, time flies when you edit audio, doesn't it? Yeah, no. It's I, I'm. I, if I had my camera turned on, I could pan the room real quick. I'm I'm in a recording studio right now. I've got my, you know, window separators between my rooms and all of my instruments behind me, and my keyboards and my guitar amps and my drums and just hundreds of microphones. This is, this is my passion. This is what I do. Um, I love well, it. So, so you are into audio. Yeah, no, mu- music, audio engineering, uh, recording, and being a musician is kind of like this is this is this is the thing I do with all of my uh, spare time. Um, but I've been really into podcasting for like the last eight months. So honestly, I've, I think, I think the last like twelve songs I've written have been for podcasts. Maybe the last fifteen songs I've written have been for either my podcast or somebody else's podcast. I love that aspect of this branch of media, this like podcasting boom. I love that there's so much original music to go along with so many of the podcasts because for a long time, I'm going to, I'm going to be a TV nerd for a minute, but for a long time (laughs) through like the sixties, seventies, even into the eighties, a little bit of the nineties, incidental music for TV was really great. It was like orchestrated and it was, it was composed. It was actual, actual music. Um, one of my favorite TV theme song facts is that the theme song for The Price is Right was recorded at Abbey Road Studios in the early 70s. Whoa. Incredible, right? Okay. But after maybe like the early to mid 90s with the rise of, of I, I feel like with the rise of like digital instruments and like mid mm-hmm. like MIDI instruments and things like that, a lot yeah. of the music became sort of canned and kind of weak compared to what it used to be. So I just love that there's this boom of original music that that's that's accompanying all these podcasts. How long have you been making music? How long have you been into this? Uh, since I was 13 years old. So there must have been at least one artist or band that really got you into music or inspired you to like step into that arena. Was there? Um, I wouldn't say it was one artist. Um, like nobody in my family is musical. Uh, and so I didn't grow up with instruments or lessons or anything like that like none of that was foisted on me (laughs) it wasn't an option um but music from a very very early age just like i mean just just held my attention and it was the thing i wanted to do um so at like when i was in that early phase like elementary school and i was just like daydreaming about being a rock star the people that i was listening to at that time was like a combination of like uh you know bon jovi poison van halen weird al yankovic Mm -hmm. um yeah so it was a lot of like hair metal and uh yeah just like general 80s rock well, that's like a perfect storm of musical circumstances, especially Weird Al. I yeah, feel, no, I, yeah, I love especially Weird Al. me too, <laughs> me too. I I love I love how po- I love how his popularity has maintained, maybe even increased 
as yeah. he's gotten older. Like he he's never not been cool, you know? Yeah, no, it's I it, the, the 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 fat album. I'm fat. I'm fat. Yes. You know it. Come on. Um and like I was a, I was a huge MJ fan too. So like I liked bad but I also liked fat and I had both cassettes. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, I had a friend, my best friend throughout elementary school, even like heading into high school. His name is Tony Finelli, a huge weird Al fan. He had everything. And uh, there were so many days I spent at his house that were nothing but playing super Nintendo and <laughs> listening to weird Al on cassette. The, yep. the, and, and, and you don't realize it then, but you look back and like, those were the glory days, you know? Yeah. And, and I, I guess, I mean, I, we're, we're being tangential here, which I guess is wonderful. Um, yes. The, the crazy thing about Weird Al, right? And I think, I think this rings true for most people, but like m- a good portion of comedy music is like a listen once and done. Right. You know, it's like, oh yeah, right. yeah I heard, I heard this parody of this song. Somebody, you know, did a parody of this Britney Spears song or, you know, a parody of this Rihanna song. And like, you listen to it. I, you know, like there was a, right when the quarantine started, there was a a parody, I think of the uh, Billie Eilish song about zoom, you know? Right, right, right. I'm I'm vaguely familiar with what you're talking about. Yeah. So like I watched the video, I chuckled and I've never pulled it up again. I didn't, I definitely didn't feel compelled to go buy the album. <laughs> right. Cause the novelty of it wears off. Whereas a person like weird Al, I feel like he was a pioneer in that he introduced the concept of replay value yeah. to comedy music. And I can only think of one other, I'll call it an act that has done that. So one is weird Al. The other one is the Simpsons. And Ooh. I don't know how into the Simpsons you are, yeah. but they uh, do a, they do a really good, yeah, same, up to season, like, maybe 11 or 12. Anyway, yeah. they do a really good job oh, of I'm gonna, incorporating. I'm going to date myself here and say uh, that I used to watch The Simpsons when they were on the Tracy Ullman show. Oh, wow. <laughs> Way back. Yeah. So, sorry, go on. You, oh, no, that's okay. I no, interrupted please, I, you. That's, I, I, I completely appreciate that. But The Simpsons, I feel like they do a really good job of incorporating music into their scripts, and yeah. they do a really good job of writing comedy music that's Mm -hmm. actually funny you know a lot of the times you get you know i mean and again weird al and the simpsons are the two entities that i think have 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 perfected that art of like making comedy music that you can hear again and it's still funny and it still has has novelty to it weird al also like pulled off one of the greatest tricks too which is uh for folks like you and me like we have heard way more comedy polka music original comedy polka music than we probably ever would under any other circumstances absolutely my because... favorite my favorite part of any weird al album is yeah. this the mash is the mashup of polka of polka yeah. themed top 40 covers it's my favorite part of every weird al album yeah what a what a beautiful man yeah um, incredible so incredible but i could also see how a person like Weird Al could serve as a creative inspiration. And I'll, I'll, okay, I'm going to draw a comparison, but I need you to stay with me on this. I need you to stay with me and I need you to trust me. And this is, (laughs) this is all political opinions aside. This is all personal biases aside. Weird Al, I feel like, 
does something for the creatives of that generation, what a person, and this is from personal experience, what a person like Kanye West does for people of my generation. Because I got into him the way I imagine a person in the 80s would get into Weird Al. He pioneered this idea of doing it all yourself, recording Mm -hmm. all your music on your own, writing the lyrics creating the backing track, promoting it yourself, just just like the whole DIY type of thing, which I think is something that Weird Al was really good at, that idea of, of you are the show, you are the entity. This all comes out of one person. And I just notice a pair as somebody who's really, who really likes both of those guys. I, I just, I notice a parallel there. Yeah. I, I can definitely see it. Um, his his As, public image these days has gotten so muddied with other things that yes. see, I I became a fan of him in like 2004 2005. Okay. And that was his aesthetic back then was the D, the whole DIY yeah, no, make this yourself from beginning to end, you know. I, I think the 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 thing that's clogging up my uh audio engineer brain right now is that historically over time there has been so many people that have done exactly that but you're right as far as the the like getting famous for that thing and that being part of your your appeal to your audience because like you probably don't know this because it was never a well publicized thing but like Lenny Kravitz was the same way if you are you gonna go my way Lenny Kravitz recorded every instrument on that entire album he did does he all really the yeah there's wow. there's a section on that album where uh heineken bottles are being played with a spoon and it is credited to lenny kravitz that's amazing <laughs> i did i genuinely did not know that yeah and th- and that's the wow. thing uh, uh ani defranco like if you're a fan of folk music oh uh, sure sure yeah, I, she, yeah like, I studied her for a whole semester i think in oh. um in college yeah Awesome. Yeah. Like she, she was pissed off with the not being able to get a label. So she just started her own label. She started her own record label. She has always self-produced all of her own music. Uh, she has never relied on anyone else for anything. <laughs> I love it. I've so, always, I think I've always admired that work ethic. I think yeah. that you, you can't even narrow it down to like one person or two people. I've just admired people that can create their own product end to end, you know? Yeah. And it's it's at Weird Al definitely like he completely one hundred percent fits that bill. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm not a Kanye fan, so I did not know that about Kanye that that was like that was part of his like in image uh, when he like introduced himself to the world. Yeah, part of being a fan of him these days is the heartbreak of knowing that there is an entire. <laughs> uh, a, there's an entire segment of the population that doesn't realize who he was before all of this. Like he was, and I could talk about it for hours and hours and hours, but I won't, (laughs) (laughs) I won't, I will limit it to 30 seconds and we'll move on to the next question. But he was one of the pioneers of that. Do it yourself aesthetic Uh, from, from the music to the public image. It was all, it was all of his crafting. So I just, I, I just, and maybe it's being the son of an artist, who made all of his stuff and you know like beginning to end it was it was him through and through um i just identify with that work ethic and and i love it yeah no and that's and, and that's that's a lot of people nowadays right like that's that's the 
the music industry is so different today than it was five years ago, 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, Changes every year. Yeah, but so much now is is doing exactly what I'm like I'm describing with myself. Like it's you you can go out and get all this stuff and make you know, you can make music and I you know, I have several albums up on Spotify myself. None of them are doing particularly well, but like there's nothing preventing me. Like I don't need a record label, but that wasn't the case, you know. <laughs> Not too long ago. <laughs> right. There was, um, I feel like for a long time, well, you know, before the internet and before the, mm-hmm. you know, the wide availability of, 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 of relatively inexpensive equipment and instruments and microphones and software, there was a gatekeeper between mm-hmm. the person who wanted to express themselves creatively and that goal of creative expression. Like you needed a middleman. You needed yeah. like a guy to like get you through. And you don't need that anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Distribution and A&R and all that. But... I mean, look at what you and I are doing right now. I mean, I don't yeah. make music. This is what I make. But you and I literally went out and bought the shit and put it together, and now we're doing it. But the the the, the flip side of this uh, is, God, I read an Apple report the other day, like you know, and I'm gonna get the I'm gonna mangle these numbers, but it was something like, you know, five years ago there was twenty thousand podcasts on Apple, and today there's like two hundred thousand. And it's just like five years later. So that, like, there is an exponential growth both to musical releases and podcast releases and just media in general now that we've kind of democratized the tools that people use to do this. Um, so there's a lot more sifting now that people have to do. <laughs> that is true. But, you know, I feel like at least when it comes to podcasts, Within the podcasting community, whether you're talking about creators or listeners, Mm -hmm. there is this innate ability to, for lack of a better phrase, sift out the bullshit. I feel like the cream definitely rises to the top. And I feel like the ones that are putting quality work in and putting out quality content are, you know, I'm I'm sure a lot of people disagree with me, a lot of people with who... A lot of people with what they consider to be really good podcasts aren't getting the intention that they deserve, and that's always unfortunate, and I, I'm sure you and I are part of that as well. But I feel like there is a, a there's a stronger sense of community in that, you know, the good ones get attention in a way that music doesn't. I hope that makes sense. Um, I think it does, but I think the parallel might and you know feel free to disagree with me here like let's let's have a brainstorming session where there's no such thing as a bad idea yeah. um but i i think the i think there's going to be great podcasts out there that do not get the attention that they deserve because they don't sound like their production quality is not good enough just like i think there's amazing musicians out there that are like top of the game whose albums are not ever going to be recognized because like their production value is not what it should be. That's so unfortunate though, because I feel like in the same way there's space for lo-fi music and there's space for Mm lo-fi hip hop, there should be a space for lo-fi podcasting and lo-fi communication. You know, I think there is, I just don't think they'll ever, I don't think they'll ever vault themselves to the, you know, it's much like with music. I'm sure one or two are going to right. Like I'm sure some are going to skyrocket past, but I think most of them and and much like with musicians and stuff, like if you're not doing all the other requisite work as a musician, uh, 
And when I say that, I, I just mean like, if you're just a bedroom producer, you make a thing, you release it, and then you don't do anything to promote it. You don't try to contact people. You don't try to get any listeners. Um, you're probably not going to be famous or like get noticed. You know, it's, there's millions of other musicians that are doing the exact same thing at the exact same time. Um, I imagine with podcasts, it's kind of the same. Uh, I guess with podcasts, I don't know. I don't know. Like we're, we're kind of at the cusp of what we're doing. Podcasts is just now hitting its, it, it's, you know, it's apex, uh, Spodcast or <laughs> Spotify, Amazon, uh, Audible. There's a ton of people now that are reaching out to try to lock in unique podcasters to basically be like, you're only available on our channel. So it kind of feels like we're at like the Netflix moment of podcasting. Well, that's true. And I also feel like podcasting has now reached what I would consider to be the closest. Um, well, what the hell am I trying to say? I think I'm trying to say that podcasting right now is the fullest realization of what it was intended to be. Yes. It yes. was intended to be like old school radio. You yeah. know what I mean? You listen to one guy for an hour, then another guy maybe plays a game for an hour, then another guy gives you the news for yeah. half an hour, then you could cry for half an hour, you could laugh for half an hour. <laughs> and it's like, and, and we have all of that at our disposal now. I remember when podcasting first became a thing, and it was essentially like a blog in audio form. Mm -hmm. They were like maybe 10, 15 minutes long. Most of them had to do with technology or Apple products because that's who could right. afford to have a good microphone and, you know, do all that stuff. Um, but now I've, you know, it, it's, it's, it's developed into a form of entertainment all its own, which is probably very yeah. cliche at this point, because like you said, 200,000 podcasts, at least out in the world right now, but it might've been, it might've even been 2 million. I, the, the number was staggering. It was, it's it was probably closer to 2 million. It was I feel like so many people, I feel like so many people in my life have a podcast or yeah. have guessed on a podcast or yeah. record one or write for one, you know, yeah, no, it's it 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 was it was one of those like logarithmically things. It was just like, oh, holy shit, we've oh, so am I allowed to swear on your podcast? You can say you can say whatever the fuck you want. Okay, <laughs> I have abstained up until now. That's okay. That's okay. Um, yeah, no, I I feel like we're we're, you know, I feel like we're at the beginning of something, and and I don't necessarily think that's a great thing. Um. I, I think in five years, podcasting is going to be extremely different. And if corporate America gets its fingers in it, uh, you know, uh, the music industry sucks, dude. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're not kidding. Um, you're not and, kidding. And like, I love this world where I can go out and listen to a bunch of bands on Spotify because their algorithm is just throwing stuff at me, regardless of whether they have a freaking red record contract or not so i'm able to find things that are not you know approved for radio play um but it took a long time for the music industry to actually like hit its apex and then kind of come down from this just like uh who is the main villain in uh inspector gadget oh claw yeah from this like <laughs> It, it, it record executive non-stop parade of yeah. 80s references tonight non-stop <laughs> coming up next we discuss strawberry shortcake <laughs> uh, okay so yeah i just like i view 
record executives as like claw just sitting in their booths just you know petting their evil looking cats being like ah yes we signed you know more noobs to this contract but we will get all of their publishing rights and they will get nothing yeah well that's kind of what it what it was and it's kind of what it is even yeah. now to a certain degree maybe even and maybe even in a more nefarious way because i feel like this like the world of 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 becoming popular through music yeah. appeals to a lot of younger people, younger, yeah. more impressionable, yeah. more willing to do whatever type of people. And, you know, well, it also appeals to, uh, I mean, the, the, the fact is that like the majority of my musician friends that I know that, you know, want to do this for a living also don't make much money. Like this, this, this gig doesn't pay well. <laughs> Making music doesn't pay. Um, so just anybody willing to be like, hey, would you like to make a living doing this? Just sign right here on the dotted line. No, no, no. We need that in blood, not ink. Yeah. Um, but I feel like like where we're at with podcasting right now, because again, as soon as I saw the call from Audible and Spotify to start signing deals of like, you know, once you sign a podcast deal with us, like you're only allowed to publish with us the it was just like, oh, we're we're at the cusp. This is the yeah. This is the creation of the podcast industry, and it's going to make some choices with its legal contracting here in the next couple of years that are going to define it. It's sort of the opposite of what happened with TV. Television originally was just an experimental offshoot of radio. But then networks became involved and sponsors became involved and programming and counter-programming and ratings and analytics. But I feel like now we're coming out of this like Wild West phase of podcasting and we're entering into this era of exclusivity and yeah. and, and, and and networks. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, yeah. I think that, you know, like any like any segment of the industry, you know, the big names will make themselves known and they will be, you know the NBC and CBS and ABC of podcasting, which yeah. is kind of scary to think about. But I, I mean, at the same time though, like it's, we, 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 the people already have the tools. Uh, you know, this I, is true. we, we have so many podcasting apps out there that allow us to like categorize and rate and suggest and release content in ways that just ignore the big boys. Yeah. And so if you want to take a stand and say, I, I don't want cable, you can. <laughs> and it's just that easy. Unprecedented um, level of power among the people that are consuming the entertainment. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm just, I'm really fascinated to see where this is going to go in the next uh, three to four years. I think it's going to be uh, very interesting because the, the music industry straight up just hosed the musicians and those are the laws like that. That has been established a long time ago. Um, so I, I hope we do something better with podcasts. Tell me about the first time you ever got paid to make music. Oh, man. Out of left field. And more proof that this is not pre-scripted. No, never. Um, never. I don't write <laughs> shit for this. <laughs> it's just me and my diet watermelon Mountain Dew in here. <laughs> okay, so does it count if I got... Okay. Uh I'll 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 tell two different stories here. Okay. Um the first was probably the first time I like actually got paid 
to make music. So I, 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 I was born in Texas, but I uh, spent like my youth, my formative years growing up in Belgium, in Europe. Um, my mom is Belgian and, uh, she was a French teacher at an international school in Waterloo, Belgium. And Belgium does not have a drinking age per se. The, the rule that I was told in the early nineties when I was in middle school and high school there was, uh, the drinking age is if your hand can reach the counter. Oh shit. <laughs> that, was, that was like the guidance I was given. Um, and I apologize if there's like a bunch of Belgians living to this, listening to this, that's like, no, that's, that's, we actually have a drinking age, but I'll, I'll say empirically from my time living there, I, I like nobody ever asked me my age. I was never once carded. So probably in, uh, 10th grade I got my first gig playing at a bar um so I was what 15 15 years yeah 14 old? 15 something like that yeah. yeah yeah and I was in a I was in a band with a couple of uh English guys and we were called Soggy Biscuit and if you know anything about English boarding schools that's a terrible name for a band <laughs> I know a little bit about English boarding yeah, schools, so me, and I agree. That is a terrible yeah. name for a band. Let me refine that. If you know anything about all-male English boarding schools, <laughs> uh, Soggy Biscuit is a terrible name for a band. Um, but one of our shining moments was sitting outside of the bar we were going to play in before we were supposed to play and having this like older English gentleman and his wife walk by with our marquee out in front of the bar that said, Soggy Biscuit tonight, 9 p.m., and he just went, Soggy biscuit. Oh, oh, that is revolting. Edna, come along. And he like <laughs> shepherded his his wife away from our marquee. <laughs> That's badass. <laughs> um, so we we had a set. We were playing in an Irish pub. Uh, and again, yeah, yeah, I was in tenth grade. Uh, we were playing in an Irish pub, and we were just doing cover songs. We we're, you know, we we're covering sixties, seventies, eighties stuff. I think we bothered to learn a couple of new like Oasis songs so people could sing Wonderwall along with us. As um, is the requirement in Europe. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to learn it, but the law's the law. So. <laughs> um and yeah. And I mean also at that time, like Wonderwall had just come out. So <laughs> it was a new release. Right. Um, but it was, you know, number one. Pop top of the pops. Um and yeah, and like we got paid in beer and a little bit of money. And uh, I mean, it was crazy. That's I, exciting. It was crazy. And then like that turned into us busking in downtown Brussels uh, and getting chased by the cops. But we would like, I was the drummer at that time. So uh I played drums in that band, but I, you know, I'd bring my bongos, they'd bring their guitars and we played Beatles songs and, you know, Lola by the kinks and, you know, people would gather around and they'd throw hundred franc notes at us because Belgium hadn't gone to the Euro at that point. Uh, and then the cops would chase us off. And then like, we'd have enough beer money by the end of the day to like go to another pub or, you know, so that was, that was probably like, yeah, that was just that that was change. That was just a, like a little bit of change. And then when I was in 11th grade, I convinced my school 
to do to to like basically give me the gym give me and my band the gym for an evening and we got all the bands in the area like all the bands in our school all the bands in surrounding schools to do a big charity event and then the whole purpose was just that we just wanted to play we just wanted we wanted a big venue <laughs> um but the school agreed as long as like we gave the money to charity so the the school basically let us sell tickets through them as an entity and let people congregate in their gym and gave us the stage next to the gym and let us use their lighting system and their sound system and we had probably somewhere between three and five hundred people like packed into a gym like nirvana nevermind style you know smells like teen spirit we're just like <laughs> rocking I out i love it gym i love stuff. it it's so grungy yeah and it, and this was i mean this was you know what like 93 <laughs> oh god yeah it's like the golden era of course uh yeah all of us were wearing combat boots and flannels and um <laughs> you know uh and and like i i didn't I didn't personally profit off of that, but that was the most people I'd ever played for. And that was the most money I'd ever made because everybody had to buy a ticket ahead of time. So it didn't, it didn't require a bar owner to like show mercy on my shitty little band, but rather it was just like our friends and then their friends. And then just this like surge of like, Oh, this is a high school event. Everyone's going to be there. So everybody bought tickets. That's so cool. That has a very kind of like, well, it must have had a very counterculture kind of feel to it. Like, look at this shit we're putting together. Oh, it, we're like, we're like, the, we're like, we're the vanguard now. Yeah. No, it, it absolutely did. It was, we, cause we ended up doing it the next year and then I graduated and I think I heard that they kept going with it at least for a couple years. Um, but yeah, we called it, we, <laughs> we're trying to find a clever name, but we called it the tumultuous tiff one. And then we call it the tumultuous TIFF 2 the next year. Um, and, you know, uh, so yeah, those those are the first two times I made money. I love it. After my senior year, my band, still Soggy Biscuit at that time, and that was one of multiple bands that I had at that point, but we, we got a gig as the house band for a five-star hotel in Greece for the entire summer. Incre and how old were you when that happened? I was I was eighteen. Dude, you had to have been on top of the world. I was, and, and I and again, I don't know if you remember this as part of your selection process, like when you sent out that survey. But that that was my like that's my worst musical memory ever. I remember it, but I'm going to try and act surprised as you tell it. Sorry, <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> really, what happened? So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I, you know, I so you explained it to me, but I don't know any of the details. Yeah, so, no, no. Like I, it was, it was a one-liner in the thing. But we, so uh, my my bass player and my guitar player were, uh, they were a, a year older than me. So by the time I graduated high school, uh, they were already in college, and they were going to college with uh, somebody who I will just call Yanni for the purposes of this. And uh, Yanni was getting his MBA that like that was his his, you know, what he was going to college for. And my bandmates uh, were really good friends with him. And they like called me up one day and they were like, Todd, like Yanni is one of our college buds. He's our mate. Like 
and his dad runs a five-star hotel in Greece, and they're looking for a house band for the entire summer. Room, board, food will be covered, and they'll pay us a weekly salary of X amount of, you know, money. And, like, it all panned out. It was just like, oh, this is this is too good to be true. Like, this is insane. And it was in Corfu, Greece, too. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't in, like, Athens or, like, it was in the beautiful islands that you see the picture of with, like, the turquoise water. Right. Yeah, I was going to ask what kind of area that is. Very, yeah. no. very affluent. Yeah, extremely affluent. Again, five-star hotel, Corfu, Greece. And we were just like, great. How, how do we get all this stuff there? So, like, I had to box up my drums, you know, and take them on a train down there and then like put them on a ferry to get to Corfu. <laughs> it was crazy. Um, and, and so, and you know, and so we get there like, and we paid our own room or our own airfare and, and train fare and everything else to get there because we knew we were going to get paid. So we get there, we open up, right? First, first night comes along and like we walk out on stage and there's probably 200 people maybe sitting out there in this like weird beautiful like white stone um amphitheater that is like overlooking the beach behind all these people in these various seats and there's like you know there's just beautiful Holy trees God. And Wait, so this isn't there's like multiple bars everywhere. It's like you, right. it's like a sandals <clears throat> resort. Yeah, I was going to ask if it was the kind of thing where like people just kind of sit and eat dinner while you play yeah, or yeah. or was it? Yeah, well, it like it wasn't so much dinner as just like an area a congregation area with like hundreds of like tables and seats for people to just like congregate. There was a big dance floor in the middle. Um wow. So, I mean, it was it was crazy. So we we come out there and you know, we're just sitting on a dock of a bay. Watching the tide, and people, these old folks are getting up and dancing. They're twirling each other. They're clapping after every song. They're putting yeah. tips in our hat, and we, you know, like we know like a hundred songs or something. We've so we're just like cycling through them. We're trying to feel the audience out. Um, we're like cool. What I didn't tell you up until now is that like our free board was not in the hotel it was actually in like this ramshackle little like cardboardy <laughs> type of like cold shower everybody in the same room uh you know box out in the woods way behind the hotel oh my god but you got to remember too that like we're 18 we're in corfu greece we're just like okay cool whatever yeah, like, it's just part of the gig. That, did that not almost phase, makes it cooler. Yeah, that did not phase us at all. Right. So we play our first gig, and up until this point, they've they've actually been, like, feeding us. They've been, like, you know, giving us food. And we play that first gig, and we finish the gig, and, you know, we're all just, like, super excited. And we're like, okay, cool. Uh, we go over, and they're like, you know, free alcohol. Like, uh, hey, Yanni, like, how, how does how does this work? And Yanni was like, oh, uh, you know, my dad actually has strict rules about that. Like, y'all are not allowed to fraternize with any of the guests here or, like, drink alcohol, like, at the presence. Like, y'all just have to go. Uh, and we're okay. Like, oh, uh, okay. Uh, 
you know, weird, but okay. And for the single ones of us that just got off stage at a five-star hotel that were playing and being clapped at and cheered at, it was, that, that hurt a little bit. It hurt it's a little bit. a little bit, bit of a kill. Yeah, a little bit. Like, I, you know, I was kind of looking forward to, you know, you know, just being up there at the bar and being like, oh, yeah, 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 no, you do recognize me. <laughs> right. Being an 18-year-old musician, musician in Greece. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, so the, the, the days go on. We're playing five days a week at this point. Uh, and slowly our food situation becomes thus. Um, please go to the kitchens and they will feed you. Please go to the kitchens and they will feed you whatever other folks have not eaten. Please go to the kitchens and rummage through food that has not been eaten from people's plates and take what you will. So like this situation is slowly devolving as we go. So our like cold water, only cold water, everybody in a single room, ramshackle, like back of the forest slum of a, of a hut that we're sleeping in, our food that we're only allowed to pick off of other people's plates, our no free alcohol because we're not allowed to be seen in the five-star hotel when we're not playing. And then comes the end of the second week when we're like, hey, um, you know, we've been actually eating out a lot because the like eating off of other people's food is like not working out so much for us. And we've actually been <laughs> buying our own like bottles of bourbon because the not being allowed to drink in the hotel thing has kind of been impacting us. Like we were wondering when we we're going to get paid. And Yanni was like, oh, let me go talk to my dad. Um, and then like th thus began the excuses. Mm hmm. And so this went on for a, a month, maybe. We never actually got paid. And so we, oh, maybe like three weeks. I'll say like three weeks. It's, it's been a long time. This is this is all happening when I was 18. But at some point, oh, sure. we decided to go out and play another venue, like to see if we could make money from just playing at the bars around town. Um, and the first show we tried to play outside of the hotel, the police got called on us. Uh, because we were too loud. So we booked another show and we booked an acoustic show that time because I had, I had my bongos and the guitars had their acoustic guitars and the police got called on us because we were too loud. Wow. And it turns out that the hotel did not like their house band being heard anywhere but the hotel. They were calling the cops on you? Yes, they were. Holy shit. And they were also not paying us. Wow. And so it finally, like, we were there for maybe five weeks, and we got to a point where we had literally run out of money. Uh, our keyboardist had, like, had money wired from his parents so we could continue, like, eating and drinking and stuff. Um, but between extra wired money and we sold all of our equipment. So and to to like leave this place and get tickets back to where we came from right um and the the last thing that like yanni told the guitar player was like something along the lines of like well the first thing you learn in business school is you need to sign a contract oh <laughs> fuck you so yeah, I learned a valuable lesson that day about the music industry. <laughs> Holy God. 
Um, what an incredible story. It's nuts, dude. And That is nuts. Builds character, though, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. No, it, it, and it definitely, you know, uh, it's good to get jaded early in the music industry, in my opinion. Like, it, you know, it's like the Sparta warriors being blooded in the arena early. So they, you know, <laughs> they've got sure. tough skin later on. Yeah, when you're young, you have that like piss and vinegar energy. You can, yeah. you can, you can pretty well get over it, you know, to a certain degree. Like when you're older, you have all kinds of, you have all kinds of stuff riding on it. You might have mortgaged your house. You might have, <laughs> you might have left your wife. All kinds of, all kinds of stakes in the game that you don't have when you're young. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that is incredible. So, how long between the time you left Greece and the time you started playing music again? Like, how long did it take you to get your equipment back? Oh, not not long. Like, it's luckily that was that was in my drummer phase. Um, so, the the drums went away, uh, and then this should surprise you not at all. I moved from Belgium to Seattle in 1996. Okay. So my like journey from like being inspired by like Weird Al and hair metal to going into nineties to just like grunge and, and then like moving to Seattle at the end of that kind of journey. So kind of more a pilgrimage than a move. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So by the time I got to Seattle, it was just like, uh, I still had my guitar. I got to Seattle. I bought a new guitar amp and then like started a new band. Uh, so it, it, it was not long, uh, but definitely, a, a little more weathered, you know. Um, oh yeah. So. Oh man, hell of a story. Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> I love it. Todd, I asked this question of everybody who participates in this show because participation in this show was a total choice on your part. I yeah. put out a form on Reddit. I asked for basic information. What's your name? Where you're from? What do you do? And based on that, we're having a conversation. Yeah. What made you want to do that? What made you want to have a conversation with me and participate in this thing? Um, so starting in August of last year, my f- like I'm, I'm going to tell you a story here. So I'm, co- I'm going back a little bit. Starting in August of last year, my friends said, "Hey, do you want to start a D and D podcast?" And my response to them was, "I've never played D and D before in my life. I'm 43 years old. I've never played D and D before in my life." And they were like, "Yeah, that'll be part of the fun." And in their brains, they also knew that I had a bunch of recording equipment and a bunch of audio engineering experience. <laughs> and I'm sure okay. that played no small part of... Right. There was some strategy yeah, to this. There was some, there was some strategy. Strategery. Um, right. <laughs> so we, we did this thing. And, uh, you know, I have spent decades at this point trying to perfect, like, the a good bass drum sound, right? Like I've perfected the balance between like a good rock distorted rock bass and guitar and vocals and like how that sits in a mix. But something I had never done was a podcast and just like trying to mix four or five people, like having a, what feels like a natural conversation together with some well-placed background music that is not overpowering, but is still emotionally compelling like there was an there was an audio journey here that was crazy to me. So within a couple months, like I'm on R slash podcasting. I am deeply just like, you know, <laughs> in this community reading about all of this stuff. And 
like in short order, uh, I am interacting with other podcast folks. I'm giving advice. I'm giving my like lessons learned. I am learning from other folks. I'm watching videos on what they're doing. I find that this community is like, it, it has an incredible amount to teach me, but because I have, you know, <laughs> I can tell you every single thing scientifically and mathematically that you ever want to know about compression, for example, um, or equalization or gating. Uh, I have, you know, I have all the audio engineering experience and none of the other stuff. So I'm just, I'm knee deep in this community. And within a couple months, like I'm listening to other people's podcasts that would never be suggested to me by Apple or Spotify or pocket casts or, you know, um, because I'm invested in this community and they're listening to my stuff and we're reviewing each other and I'm making podcast intros for other podcasts out there looking for music, looking for original music. <laughs> and so like when your suggestion came up of like, Hey, I'm looking for guests. Uh, it just seemed like another fantastic way to engage in this community and experience this podcasting thing, which I'm loving so much in yet another way that I have not yet. So like my, my trifecta here, when I'll consider the trifecta is when I can be on like a murder podcast. Um, and hopefully not as like the subject of it, but no, maybe just a guest. Yeah. Like, I, like <laughs> maybe, maybe we just start as like a commentator. Like maybe I saw something <laughs> or yeah. Anyway. <laughs> well, once you do a true crime podcast, make sure to present your card so they can stamp it. You get a free. Yeah. Call. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Reddit has been an incredible source of advice and guests and information for me since I've started this. Pro like, you know, like I said in the beginning, that's the first place I went when I started looking for guests. Yeah. Partly because, yeah, I, I wanted good audio and I wanted to talk to people that knew where to stand in front of a microphone and just kind of, you know, give me good audio so it, so that it sounds good. But I didn't know how to edit so that it didn't make a shit worth a difference anyway. <laughs> but, it, oh, but also it was just great to be part of of a community, yeah, you know, sort of like seeing live music, uh -huh. um, be, seeing a band or seeing a group live is great and it's fun and it's exciting and it's entertaining. But part, at least to me, part of the healing property of that experience is being around people who enjoy it as much as you do. Being yeah. in a room with like-minded people feels great and makes you feel great for loving this group, loving this band, loving this genre of music. So I feel the same way about the podcasting subreddit and all the subreddits that I that I that I engage in, um, you know, when it comes to this show. It's just such an incredibly close-knit community and they're all united in that same, you know, uh, desire to create. Yes. And I have admired that in people from way back, that, that, that ability to create it all and do it yourself. Yeah, no. And it's, it's, yeah, I don't know. This is just, this is such a wonderful mode of expression, right? Like it's, uh, you really get to pick any topic you want as obscure as it is, as mainstream as it is. And like, and just run at it. And yep. the sky's the limit. You could do, you could do production value 1000. You could do, I, I mean, I, I ran across a podcast the other day that was just like two people in their car on their commute home. They, they, they have a zoom recorder in their car because their ridiculous conversations on their drive home every day. Uh, they, they wanted to capture. And some of the episodes are damn funny. 
I mean, yeah, it's, they're, it's they're incredible. Inane. It's empowering. Yeah. yeah, it's empowering to be able to, like you said, do what you want instead of having that decision made for you. Yeah, you can just go out and do it. Yeah, and and you know, I don't want to say that like I don't want to say music is restrictive uh, because it's not the 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 constraints that music puts on us. But honestly, like music is so. There's so much expectation with music nowadays that a lot of musicians, myself included, feel compelled to write things that fit a certain mold. You know, sure. your average sure. music listener kind of expects the verse, chorus, verse, kind of expects a, you know, one, four, five feel to a song. Uh, we're, we're, you know, we're predisposed to like and love certain things with music. And, and granted, we have a lot of different genres. Um, but podcasting right now with the world that it is like, you're not predisposed for anything. Like, yes, their true crime is a genre. D and D is a genre, <laughs> but people are going buck wild right now. And I think it's amazing. Oh, it's fantastic. And, you know, we are entering a different era of this yeah. where there will be more vested corporate interests in yeah. what's going on in podcasting. This is going to homogenize. <laughs> yes. But I think even and maybe even in spite of that, it's only going to get better. Yeah. As more and more people discover their own voice and 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 train themselves to get rid of their stutter and to and to talk properly and to and to write and to express themselves, it's only going to get better. It's really an exciting time to be into podcasting. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Hey, this has been so much fun, Todd. Thank you for share. Thank you for sharing one hell of a story. Thank you for sharing <laughs> everything that you shared. Um, I'm really glad we're not strangers anymore. This is. I hope this was as much fun as you thought it was going to be. Uh, this has been an absolute blast. This is exactly what I was hoping it would be. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I had a blast. So thank you so much. I'm glad to hear that. Thank you. And uh, good luck with your music. Good luck with just expressing yourself creatively. Have fun at Bush Gardens with your daughter. Yep. <laughs> and stay safe and make sure you wear your lap belt. All right. Thank you, Christian. <laughs> Have a great night. You as well. Thank you, Todd. Bye. Bye-bye. Stranger Than Christian is produced by me, Christian Carrion, from my studio in Lancaster City, Pennsylvania. New episodes premiere every Saturday on all major streaming services and at StrangerThanChristian.com. Follow me on Twitter at StrangerThanC. If you enjoy the shows, support me on Patreon. Not only will you be supporting unedited, honest conversation, but you'll also receive lots of perks and bonus content. Go to Patreon.com slash StrangerThanChristian to give your support. Until next week, thank you so much for tuning in to Stranger Than Christian, part of the Apocalypse Podcast Network. I'm Christian Carrion. Good night. Stranger Than Christian is a Fat Paulie's Bagels production. Thanks for listening to the Apocalypse Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, go to ApocalypsePodcastNetwork.com. And remember, every time you support one of our sponsors, you're supporting the podcast you just heard. 